From my home studio, welcome to Evolve, groundbreaking Jewish conversations. Medical science, listening to the insights of medical experts actually is a Jewish value. It goes way back to antiquity. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and our guest today is Rabbi Mira Beth Wasserman. We'll be discussing her Evolve essay, Against Apocalyptic Ethics, Human Responsibility Before, During, and After a Pandemic. We'll also be discussing Jewish Values and the Coronavirus, a resource created by the Center for Jewish Ethics, which Wasserman directs. So the Evolve essay peers deeply into the fissures exposed by COVID-19 and the human response, particularly here in the U.S., where things have not gone well. Wasserman argues that rather than try to come up with the most ethical ways to allocate scarce medical resources, a true devotion to ethics calls for a radical restructuring of healthcare and society at large, so we're not having to choose between which patient lives and which patient dies or which receives better care and which doesn't. Jewish Values and the Coronavirus explores Jewish values related to COVID-19 and offers communities a framework to make collective ethical decision-making. As a reminder, all of the essays discussed on this show are available to read for free on the Evolve website, which is evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. The essays are not required reading for the show, but we recommend checking them out. Okay, let's get to our guest, my friend and colleague at Reconstructing Judaism, Rabbi Mira Beth Wasserman. Rabbi Wasserman is the director of the Center for Jewish Ethics and assistant professor of rabbinic literature at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. Her book, Jews, Gentiles, and Other Animals, The Talmud After the Humanities, looks at what it means to be human according to the rabbis who wrote the Talmud. Mira is a go-to speaker on Jewish ethics and the Me Too movement. And as the director of the Center for Jewish Ethics, she instituted a collaborative effort to deploy tech study in the prevention of abuse. So with that, I'm thrilled to welcome to this digital space, Rabbi Mira Beth Wasserman. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Um- I'm good. It's good to be with you. I feel like every time I say I'm good, I have to like asterisk it and say like we are in the midst of a global pandemic and it feels like the world as we know it is shutting down and climate change is closing in and we have a crazy person in the White House and I'm I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. How are you? Yeah, I think all all things considered, I was I was saying we we scheduled this um, over the summer before I realized my kids would be would be here on this day doing virtual learning. And it's a little it's a little chaotic in, in the house. Um, but but I'm good. If, if listeners, if somebody a nine year old bursts, bursts in and says something, don't be surprised. Um, we're going to start off by, by talking about your essay and, and also delve into the, the Jewish Center, um, Jewish Ethics Center resource uh, you've created. So talking about the Against Apocalyptic Ethics essay, I I just want to start and ask what led you to write this piece and kind of where, 
where were you emotionally, spiritually when you, when you sat down to write? Yeah, it's, it, the piece is a big piece for me and that it brings together a lot of threads of my thinking um, from before the pandemic. And we've heard this so much, like one thing the pandemic has done is made a lot of things that were always there below the surface, even more so, right? So one um, theme and my thinking and writing about Jewish ethics before the pandemic was that um, ethics shouldn't be reserved for like special people and special times and special places. I'm really much more interested in ethics in uh, everyday life, everyday practice, everyday people. Um, and then when the pandemic struck, there were like these ethics pieces that were being published in a lot of um, newspapers or radio spots. Um, they would bring in an ethicist to talk about the ethics of the moment. Um, and it really just bugged me how you needed to bring in expertise uh, to talk about these sort of like high stress, uh, urgent situations. It seems to me that ethics should be like folded in to everything we do, pandemic or not. So that was like the initial um, spur to, to write something. It's against ap apocalyptic ethics. It's also against like expertise ethics, right? I think ethics is just like, uh, a condition of living. It's it's something in our everyday lives. So hopefully everybody's thinking about ethics and everyone's making ethical decisions or decisions that have ethical import all the time. So yeah, I guess I'll first I'll first start at the every day. I mean, I, I wanna I wanna get to the medical stuff and the news, but but sort of the everyday. I mean, it seems like everything we, we do nowadays is a risk assessment. Is this safe? Is that safe? Can my kids play here? Can I go shopping? Um, you know, can my parents come over for dinner? Do we have to sit outside? I mean, is this risk assessment or is this ethics where, and if so, where is there, where is there a difference? That's a really good question. You're right. Like what this moment has done is sort of raise the stakes of every decision that we make. So, you know, we decide, am I going to go grocery shopping or not all the time, but there were never stakes to it the way there were now, although there probably always were, we just weren't thinking about it, right? In terms of climate change, there are always stakes to mm -hmm. how far we drive or if we get things delivered or where those things are sourced from or what kind of labor allowed us to have those things. So everything was always, always had ethical import. We just weren't thinking about it so much. Um, but the question of risk is interesting. I mean, I think assessing risk alone is an ethical process because this is one thing um, uh, that we bring out in the Ethics Center Guide to uh, Jewish Values and the Coronavirus. Medical science, listening to the insights of medical experts actually is a Jewish value. It goes way back to antiquity that the rabbis who were quite convinced of their own expertise on Jewish law, also recognized the limits of their expertise and they would defer to medical experts of their time on questions of if someone's life or health was, it, was at stake. They'd bring in the experts and let them decide in this case, oh no, this person should eat on Yom Kippur because it's a matter of health. And in fact, in lots of cases, they would defer to the actual person. So um, 
so a risk assessment is an ethical decision on its own because health and safety and life are Jewish values. But I like to think of it as more complicated than that because in any decision, there's not only the risk uh, to myself, but there's also the risk to others. And that's where a more complicated, nuanced ethics um, has to come in. And so I can I can translate that to the everyday a little better. You said you've 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 made it in the last week five or six like ethical decisions related to every you know everyday life. Is there there an example you have or? Yeah, I can I, I like I can talk about this all day. So um, the other day, so I should say that in my um, school district. As of now, I say as of now because there've been so many shifts, but as of now, the high, my, my, um, my eighth grader has been home so far all year, but the plan is for the hybrid plan to start um, next week. So I was walking around the neighborhood, I saw another parent of one of my son's kids who was asking, and, and everybody has the option of doing the hybrid or staying remote, right? So we've pretty much decided to that he'll, he'll go to school the two days a week that the hybrid plan allows for. Um, and the big decision that we had to make was about if we take the school bus or if I drop him off. And normally I'd be like a big fan of the school bus, both because like I don't want to, you know, fossil fuel concerns. And also because I commute to work myself and have never been home for the right hours to get my kid to school. But now I can drive him. And I actually talked to his doctor because he has asthma and the doctor was really concerned about his exposure was like, just drive him because the classroom is going to be safer in terms of the space and the kids in there than the school bus. So that was our decision. I felt fine about it. And then I saw this other parent and I told her our plan and she said, Oh, I can't drive my kid to school. So he was going to take the bus, but your doctor doesn't think that's safe. And initially I was just sort of overwhelmed by the self-consciousness about you know, my own privilege and what does it mean that I have this opportunity to protect my kid and my neighbor um, doesn't. Um, so I said, well, maybe, you know, I don't know how you'd feel, but I could drive him. And it, like I said it and then I thought, well, wait, am I, uh, even as I came out of my mouth, I was like, am I undermining the doctor's good advice about limiting exposure? And I thought, oh, well, it's still better than the school bus. And then she said, she said, well, probably a lot of people will be driving and that will make the school bus a lot safer. So just by driving your son, you're helping us out too, which was very generous of her to take away my self-consciousness. Um, but actually, I thought there was like a great ethical insight in there, which is that it's a mistake in these times. Um to, to make like we're all the same, like we all have different levels of risk and we all have different opportunities and wherever we can relieve systems, we're actually helping not just ourselves, but other people, right? Like if, so um, that is somewhat of a rationalization to make me feel better, but it also is saying that if you have the means to take yourself out of the public, there are people who don't get to make that choice because they're essential workers or because they have economic pressures. I mean, they have to keep taking public transit. 
So um, I thought that was like, that, that was a good principle that if I don't need to take the bus, better to stay home so that people who have to actually have to take the bus can. Now, driving is a little more complicated, but me, that's an example of these like complicated cal- calculations that every mundane decision raises. Let me, let me, f- let me follow up and ask, is, is a rationalization by nature unethical? I mean, I mean, where... We're, you know, when we're in impossible decisions, when we, when we don't know what the right thing is, is, you know, at least latching on to something that sounds plausible. I mean, we could call that a rationalization. We could also call that mental survival, right? I mean. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. And I think sometimes the reason it, something can be a rationalization can make you feel better. And it could also be sound reasoning, right? It doesn't mean it's the best possibility. Um, but one thing that I actually was trying to get to bring out in that Evolve essay is that a lot of the best decisions have already been foreclosed. They're, they're out of our hands because, um, because of bad decisions that were made by other people with more power way earlier in this whole process. No. Yeah, and I definitely, I definitely want to get into that. So, right, you 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 talk about um, in early March, as as COVID was first hitting, some of some of the ethical guidelines that were circulating. Uh, uh, Zeke Emanuel, known known physician and and health policy advisor, had had a piece, I believe, in the, in the Times. Um, I mean, this was in reaction to what we saw happening happening in Italy in in, in February and early March when. Hospitals were just being overwhelmed. Um, I mean, you start from from the point of looking at um, looking at triage and and its history, which just from what I I, I learned bef- before this interview, um, you know, at least in the medical sense, goes goes back to the Napoleonic Wars and this idea of choosing, you know, choosing which which injured soldiers to treat based on um, you know based on injury level. So if if I if I understood you correctly, in, in the medical sense, in hospitals, um, you, you find you find just the whole idea of triage problematic, potentially unethical. Is that is that is that correct? Is there is it more complicated than that? Well, I would say that I mean triage emerges in a battlefield, in war, and it's a it's a method for getting the best possible result out of an awful, awful situation, right? So that's true in hospitals as well. But um, but we've already sort of lost the ethics, right? If we're choosing between lives, depending on what kind of ethics you subscribe to, there might be better outcomes, worse outcomes, better decision, worse decisions. Um, but human lives are going to be lost needlessly. And it's the needless part that really smarts, that really hurts, right? That um, we have the resources, you know, nationally, in some, regionally, in some cases, to avoid putting hospitals under that kind of stress. And there were um, major failures that unfairly, I think, put the people, the the healthcare workers on the front lines um, in these really terrible situations of having to make selections of who will live 
uh, and who will die. But that's just like one example. All of this stuff about schools and buses and school transit, like you think about like all of the months that everybody was talking about, are we going to open bars and restaurants through the summer? Um, why were we so hung up on bars and restaurants um, when every child in America goes to school? I mean, or, why? or football, you know, or yeah, right, 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 right. So I just think at every level, there were these um, big fails, which doesn't get us individual people off the hook for thinking about um, how we can make the best possible decisions or um, do the best we can, given these these circumstances. If the system is unethical and, and an ethical outcome is, is impossible for doctors and nurses based, based on, you know, based on limited resources, based on the position they're put in, is there any room for individual moral, moral responsibility, personal ethics? I mean, where does... Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always better and worse outcomes, right? Always better and worse outcomes. So I credit people for thinking it through. I credit the ethicists who wrote these um, very carefully thought out procedures for how you prioritize some people over others. Um, there's, and among ethicists, there was a big argument about how you prioritize people. And basically that's where uh, I just wanted to say like this whole conversation um, is, is deeply troubling, raises deep ethical questions about prioritizing some people over others. That's, that's a space we don't want to go to, right? We, we, we should get there kicking and screaming if we take ethics seriously. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're free not to think about doing the best we can in any circumstances. But when you come to, right down to it, um, this is something that I wanted to bring out. From the perspective of Jewish ethics, no, like human life is essentially of infinite value, right? So whenever one life has to crowd out another life, um, that's horrifying, right? That's a moral fail. And um, it's not the moral fail of the person on the front lines. I think we all have to share some, you know, some responsibility for that. To push and advocate for a system where people have equal access to healthcare or, or where, where our leaders take disaster and pandemic precaution and planning seriously. I mean, is that, is that where you're going? Yes, yes, yes. Another thing this whole disaster brings out for me um, because of this scenario where, you know, the best efforts of the best people still couldn't save lives that otherwise could have been saved. It really brings out the limits of ethics as a pursuit that you, you can't really, um, the, you can be a very ethical person full of virtues um, with a really good sense of values and a real discipline to, to how you make your decisions. But if you're in an impossible situation where decisions have already been made by people with a lot more power, ethics alone isn't going to ensure an ethical outcome. You need to think politically and structurally and in terms of systems. We're, we're talking in, in, in mid-October, um, hopefully, 
sooner rather than later, but we don't know. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking about um, distribution and, and a vaccine, how, how once we hopefully have a vaccine that works, that's scientifically proven, how that, how that gets to people in the United States and the developed world are, are I mean, who's, you said ethics isn't necessarily for the ethicist, but who, who should be thinking about the, the implications of that? Great. Well, I love that question because what what really irked me about how people were talking about bioethics at the beginning of the pandemic was that it was in this emergency, urgent situation where you have patients dying before you and you, right? That was horrifyingly awful. Now with this vaccine, we know a vaccine, maybe more than one is coming. So already ethicists are sort of laying out principles for distribution. Um, certainly we can't all get the vaccine on the same day. So we need some sort of values-based principles for how the distribution uh, is gonna work. And that's a combination of how it's gonna be most impactful um, and who's most vulnerable, right? So um, it makes sense. You get the most bang for your buck if the people who are on the front lines and at the most at risk um, have priority. Um, but we also wanna make sure in a way that we really didn't at the beginning of the pandemic, um, that the people who are most vulnerable, we reach out to for protection uh, and offer protection first. Okay, short time out here. We hope you're finding this a powerful interview. Do you want others to experience this kind of conversation? Please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave a review. Positive ratings and reviews really help people find out about this show. All right, back to the interview. Your piece really got me thinking about how much we emulate the idea of the hero in our in our popular culture of, of somebody who operates with grace under pressure, who who comes in and, and saves the day despite the impossible situation. That's, that's, you know, certainly, you know, name 50 Hollywood movies that that's true for, um, you know, I think, you know, I think going back, going back to Hemingway, at least that we, we have such a strong attachment to the, to the hero and the hero who's individualistic and, and playing by their own set of rules. And, 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 I read your piece as a critique of that in, in, in some way. Is that, is that a fair reading? And if, you know, it's if we a lose great the reading. Yeah. I love that. First of all, I mean that, that hero worship that I think is really endemic to American culture and Hollywood, as you say, um, is a way to enshrine individualism and sort of turn our backs on all of the ways that we depend on one another, that no one actually can do it alone. Um, and it's a really dangerous idea that if you're suffering, it must be your fault. That that's the flip side of this uh, adulation of the individual hero who comes and saves the day. Um, it's also a problem because it presumes that there's these sort of like moments that you're put to the test and everything hangs on this one moment. And I think the true measure of uh, a person's moral fiber is sort of in the, over the long haul of a lifetime of how you nurture relationships and do the best you can over the long haul. 
But there's also, you know, most of those hero movies are people who like live by the gun or something like that. They rush in, right? So there's been, there's this sort of interesting twist that happened in the pandemic that for the first time we're able to see um, the healing arts, caregiving as a realm of heroism. And in a sense, that's fantastic. But but we we're we're sort of still limiting it and thinking like it's it's in the emergency room in this time of great urgency and crisis. I'd love to think about moral heroism as what caregivers do like every day, right? It's a lot harder to take care of um, of people day in, day out than in that adrenaline rush of um, having these massive people at the, in, in the, in the ER, it's a different kind of hard, let's say. So yeah, thinking about all of the people who keep our lives afloat and make things possible, assigning heroism to them would be a great outcome for this moment that we're living through. So let's, um, let's talk about the coronavirus uh, resources resource you created for for the ethics center what 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 is it what did what did you have in or do you have in mind for it um yeah so initially when we started it um you know it was march if you remember back then where everything was closing down it seemed like it was going to be this very quick thing like you know I think our building closed initially for two weeks or something. And right, we were going right. to reevaluate during Passover and um, probably come back in three weeks or something like that. Right. So, um, so initially we made this guide um, in the hope that it would actually help the organizations and community leaders um, ground decision-making about their synagogues, let's say, or schools in Jewish values. And then we quickly saw that actually individuals like, like me um, needed help thinking these things through as well. Um, so we, we came up with some sort of leading values alongside Pikuach Nefesh, alongside this thing like saving a life. One of them we already talked about, medical science. So like listening to medical experts, that's a Jewish value in itself, but that's not it. We also wanted people to always be thinking about the value of human dignity, that every human has dignity, right? Um, we also wanted to be thinking about community as a real Jewish value. Um, and what emerged is, as we thought about the range of decisions people were, were making, is probably it wasn't to close or not to close, to open or not to open, but how to open, right? Given that physical spaces would probably have to be closed for a long time or transforms, um, what values should guide how we behave so that Pikuach Nefesh doesn't close down communal life, Jewish life, education, right? So if we were to take it back to like an everyday decision, right? So um, there's good scientific reasons for uh, me not to get on a plane to go visit my father-in-law in California. It wouldn't be safe for me and it wouldn't be safe for him, it's not in the cards probably for a number of months, but that doesn't release me from um, 
from the value of respecting my parents. So now I have to find another way uh, to express my uh, obligations and my love to my father-in-law. Um, and I think like in all kinds of decisions, individuals, organizations, people are doing that, finding other ways to express the value of community when you can't do it in the ways that, that we're used to. Parents, it's like a whole other other thing during during <laughs> during this time. I'm not sure if I want to want to go there, but what you do if you don't, if a parent or a family member's approach to risk assessment doesn't match yours, you know. Ah, yeah, yeah. No, a lot of people have uh, have faced that, right? But the other thing is, like, we face it all the time, right? It's just like it just sort of turn turns up the volume on some of that. So if you have an older parent who's kept driving, right, and beyond the time that it's probably safe for them to drive, it raises similar issues of like they're endangering themselves every time they sit behind the wheel and endangering people on the streets. And how do you balance, you know, you, you're supposed to honor them, but one really good way to honor someone is to keep them alive, right? Um, so I think a, a lot of what seems like a pandemic specific ethical problem is actually a problem that's with us all the time. Um, and it's just in, in, intensified. And, uh, and everybody's facing it at the same time, suddenly, right? You know, another thing you bring up, like we talked about this a little <laughs> bit when we were chatting, but um, one of the big fails right now is um, that ideally laws would help with ethics, right? Like that there would be some, um, that there would be some law, like if you think about the driving thing, uh, in some states you get to a certain age or you have a certain diagnosis and you have to demonstrate your safety to an outside expert. It's not on a kid to take the keys away, or at least there's a certain point where it's not on you as a, an adult child, uh, of a failing parent on, on your own failing parent. That sounds really strong, but person who maybe shouldn't be driving anywhere. Right. But one of the real disappointments of this time is that we haven't, the laws aren't helping officials aren't helping. And just because something is allowed, right. They opened up restaurants, let's say, um, we kind of don't trust necessarily that they're safe just because they're open. Um, so public trust has really been undermined and law isn't functioning to back up ethics in the way that one would hope. I mean, law represents a minimum standard and ethics represents a higher standard, right? In, in some level. I think that's what you want. That's if it, the system is working well, right? But, but if the law is not even, be... it's not even reaching the minimum standard. It's not keeping us safe. It's right. Great. Right. You know, and if we're thinking about racial justice, the big, you know, we know from American history that laws can be unethical. One, one of the, the highlights of, of, the, of the resource, it, it points to values-based decision-making, which is a, a communal approach to decision-making that was really um, popularized, conceived by, by your predecessor at the Ethics Center, Rabbi, Rabbi David Teutsch. And, and, um, the first, the first basically steps A and B of there are A, determine facts, alternative actions and their outcomes, 
and B, examine relevant scientific and social scientific approaches to understanding these. So, so like to make bigger communal or societal decisions, there has to be some, some, something like, if not a consensus, somewhere in the ballpark of, of agreement on, on A and B. So it seems to me the whole values-based decision approach um, assumes that people are acting in good faith. Um, so what, what happens if, if, if part of society or, or is not acting in good faith or is not agreeing on, on what the facts are? Is there, is there any ethical path forward or, or are, there, are there ethical guidelines for how to deal with, with bad actors? I just, I just asked about six questions. So. Okay, so the bad values based decision-making, great. Yeah, I think, um, thanks for pulling that out. This is, um, this is a point that uh, Rabbi David Toich makes all the time. You hear values-based decision-making and you think, oh, I just identified my values and then I know what to do. But it's actually a much more disciplined, careful approach. You're right that it's um, developed as the way that communities make decisions together. It also, by the way, is a great guide to individual decision-making. We can talk more about that later. Um, but I think we've had actually amazing examples of this in recent months of communities coming together to do values-based decision-making. Um, and precisely because we didn't have great leadership um, from officials at, at, um, at, at many levels of government, what I saw in um, synagogue communities, for example, and school communities, is leaders making sure that they had the right expertise on their COVID committees, right? So often um, the, like, let's just say a synagogue, for example, there'd be the, like the, a, a, a committee and they'd be sure to tap somebody um, who had specific medical knowledge um, from within that community or they'd find a local person outside. So, um, I think whether people called it values-based decision-making or not, we saw tremendous local examples of this kind of decision-making, um, people gathering up folks with the appropriate expertise. Um, and, and the other place we saw it is a lot of organizations talked about scenario planning, right? Scenario planning is an example of those early steps where you play out um, what you know, what could happen and then what are the, what are, what are the range of responses if this happens? So if infection rates go up, um, then what are the range of possible things that we can do? And if they go down, what are the range of possible things that we can, we can do? So I think we saw a lot of great examples of people doing this and people did it at the communal level, organizational level, and even at the household level, even when um, it wasn't happening where you would expect it to, to happen. Okay, while we have just another couple seconds of your time, if you like to support these groundbreaking conversations of Evolve on the podcast, on the website, in our online conversations, you can, you can support us. You can make a contribution to reconstructingjudaism.org slash evolve dash donate. There's also a donate link in our show notes. 
Every gift matters and continues these conversations. Thanks so much for listening and thank you for your support. All right, now back to Rabbi Mira Beth Wasserman. So what should someone do? What it, the next time someone, you meet someone that says, I, you know, I don't know whether to go here. I don't know whether to do X or Y. What, what, I mean, would you recommend they, they go, they go and, and go through the steps of values-based decision-making I and mean, what is there? Well, for individual <laughs> decision. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So like those steps, like the steps, I think the steps are a translation of what careful decision makers do, right? Um, because it's not just moving through seven steps. It's always somewhat iterative, right? Um, in that, you know, different, different scenarios occur to you, and then you need to go back a couple steps and figure out, oh, well, how would I respond to this? How would I respond to that? But I think the real takeaway for me and where I hope the guide will help people, right? It's not like a tool where you put in the input, this is my situation, and there's some algorithm, and it comes out with, this is what you do. It's rather sort of a careful process um, for thinking through what's most important to me. Um, and what does Jewish tradition uh, have to say to me? What wisdom is in the tradition about this particular conflict dilemma that I'm wrestling with? Um, and I hope by considering the different values, one sees that health and safety is a component of everything, but there's always going to be a more healthy, more safe way to do something and a less healthy, less safe way to do something. So you can choose a more healthy, more safe way um, to engage with your parents, let's say, or to engage with your community or to make your political voice heard. Um, yeah, and, and I really hope that one benefit of thinking through the values is um, to overcome the sort of impulse to isolation that was always in our culture and it's gotten like so much more intense, right? Um, we're sort of huddled down in our own homes and spaces. Um, and, and I hope that by like focusing on values, people remember that there's like a world of um, neighbors out there, um, other people who we have obligations to beyond our own households. I, I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, thanks for being here. Um, I guess let's hope for better things, better things ahead. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to, to, to talk things through. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Rabbi Mirabeth Wasserman. If you enjoyed our talk, please be sure to read the essay Against Apocalyptic Ethics, Human Responsibility Before, During, and After a Pandemic, and in that essay, you can also link to, there's a link to the Jewish values and the coronavirus resource. So what'd you think of today's episode? I want to hear from you. Evolve is about meaningful conversations and you, you are part of that. Send us your questions, comments, feedback, whatever you got. You can reach me at bschwartzman at reconstructingjudaism.org. You write a great email. Maybe I'll, I'll even end up reading it on the air. Reminder, we'll be back next month with a brand new episode and interview. Evolve, Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Walks. Our theme song, Ilufinu, is by Rabbi Miriam Margols. 
The show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and we'll see you next time.